This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Fresca, and welcome back to the podcast. 50th episode today, Tommy. I know. Wow. Crazy. We were just talking about that. 50 episodes. It doesn't Nuts. seem like that many. I don't I don't think I could name all 50. <laughs> I, I can't actually. I was thinking the same thing. Like, I actually cannot name all 50 episodes. Like, I forget. And sometimes I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe it would be cool if we did this. And then I think about it like, I feel like we talked about that. And then, like, sure enough, like, I'll look over back and I'll be like, oh, yeah, we, we definitely talked about that. <laughs> so, yeah, 50, uh, 50 seems like uh, like a long time. And this is crazy, but I'm pretty sure we started in August of 2020 when we were like coveted out mm-hmm. and uh August is coming up so like yeah approaching we a year that's strong. True. yeah we, got yeah, we like never a, we uh, never missed a week man we one year fire. anniversary episode yeah i know right we were we've been on fire with this there you go so let's, i guess let's uh let's let's continue being on fire let's today continue the trend right keep the streak going let's see right that's right okay. we can do this all right. So what are we talking about today, Tommy? Well, we figured it had to be something interesting or something big. And since, you know, we're both um, history teachers and we deal with this stuff and happened just uh, a few days ago was the anniversary, I guess, of this. Right. So today we're going to be looking at the signing of and a little bit about the Declaration of Independence. Really something that I guess everyone's heard of. You're not, you're not living in this country, really any country, not heard of the Declaration of Independence, the uh, United States Declaration of Independence. But how much do people really know about it? Like if you really stop people on the street, tell me something about the Declaration of Independence, they might say a few though. It was signed on July 4th, 1776. And we'll talk about it. There's some debate. There's debate. I don't want to start <laughs> saying in absolutes one way or the other because then we're going to start getting hate mail. But um, yep. no, no hate mail. It, it's, it's not as simple as a lot of those movies make it seem and stuff like that. And there actually is a watermark, a hidden message on the Declaration. On the back of it. Yes, there is. It is yes. not a map, I, however. It is not, not a, map. a map. It's not Nicholas Cage National Treasury. What is it? No. I guess we can. It just says what well, original copy Declaration of Independence. That's literally all it says. Like you, made, you totally yeah. like you filled that up. Like it was like whoa. Yeah, I mean, but it, it literally it's, says it's, original well, that's copy. Of, that's a lot of things in history, right? People always talk about. <laughs> oh, this is this is that could be a podcast, right? These myths of history that there's all this stuff on. Like you know, they say Napoleon was short. Actually, he was average average for that time period it wasn't anything. yeah wasn't he like five seven or something yeah, it was totally normal for that time period but they always show him like he's this tiny little guy but like no that wasn't the case um, i mean i guess co- if comparatively, you're, comparatively yeah i was gonna say yeah yeah but that's that, mean, that's that's something for another time but a lot of times yeah i guess people we hype things up and then it's just like eh, kind of like, like like the new star wars movies you know you get hyped up and then it's just like okay <laughs> fair enough that's starting to be like a common trend here uh, and we're, and we, now, now we, we always somehow fall into that, that. So uh, we'll talk about, uh, obviously, the Declaration of Independence. We'll talk about what it says. We'll talk about the background of how we got to the Declaration of Independence and why there is a Declaration of Independence. Uh, we'll then get into some of like the pretty much like the fun facts of it. We'll talk about the signing itself and the drafting like who of the signed document. It? Who's the and then, who yeah, the biggie. It, yeah. Like, who signed this thing? I mean, there's 56 individuals that signed this Declaration of Independence. And we'll talk about some of them today, if not all. I mean, I'm not sure. They were signing their, I mean, I I know we we talk about it and we'll get into it in more detail, but they're signing their their death warrant basically by putting their name to this paper because now their name is there. And this is like a big. Oh, treason. This was an act of treason. treason. This is a a middle finger to the king. I mean, that's it. You know? Yeah. Not to mention that treason at this time by the British, by the crown, 
was punishable by death. I mean, like you yeah. said, these guys were literally like, all right, well, you know, and here's John Hancock, like in case you can't see it, bam. Yeah. But let's, let's kind of, let's get going here. So right, brief background. Yeah. Right. Brief, brief background told this, obviously why are we declaring independence? You guys have, you know, listening to this probably remember this from school, but ultimately, um, so. yeah. Right. Uh, the United States th- was initially 13 British colonies. I'm not going to get into that. However, the 13 British colonies start to, after the French and Indian War, England, who um, as a nation fights this war, it's a global war, but a lot of it is fought here in the colonies, and they go into massive debt in 1760s because of this war. And as a result, the belief is that the colonists should pay for some of that, which in turn changes British policy towards the colonies to be a lot more assertive. And they really want money from the colonies, but they also want the colonists to take some responsibility for governing themselves in a sense and and for kind of being part of the British Empire. Naturally, what happens is prior to this, the British crown kind of ignored the colonies. And during this time, the colonists got to kind of discover their own freedoms in a sense. They they started to have local assemblies. And yeah, each state or rather each colony had a governor. However, the governor controlled or ruled each colony together with a local assembly that was elected by local um, wealthy, essentially wealthy planters. And well, that's really well, especially with the wealthy landowners. A lot elite. of like these, yeah. yeah, the elite, a lot of like, um, particularly in the South who just not even wealthy, but just live there, like the, the people who yep. tenant farmers, whatever you want to call them, woodsmen, they were just like, we don't care one way or the other. Yep. Like, and I had that a lot of people, at least early on, they didn't really care one way or the other because they were like, what's the point? If the, the king is only over there. Or what are the British really going to do to me? I'm, a, yep. I'm a, literally an ocean away. Yep. And what essentially happens, as you kind of alluded to here, is when England starts to pass all these things and make us do all these things, we ignore them. We ultimately, um, you know, we boycott British goods when they started raising taxes. And again, we're not going to get into the American Revolution part. But what ultimately happens is between the taxes, the suppression of land uh, regulations, proclamation of 1763, um, the colonists finally get fed up with what they believe to be oppressive British policies. What ultimately happens is this is kind of unprecedented because up to this point, the 13 colonies very much lived as if there were 13 separate countries. If you, you know, you didn't say you were an American colonist. You said you were a New Yorker, you were a New Jersey, you were a Virginian. Yeah, I mean, that's, they, that's what they identify themselves as. Absolutely. When things started getting really bad with England in 1760s and 70s, they decided to actually send representatives from each one of these colonies to meet up to discuss what they should do. Um, and this is where we get this idea of a Continental Congress, which is kind of a precursor to, you know, our Congress with representatives. But the reason why we were bringing this up is because these are the guys, these representatives that actually not write, because we'll get into who writes the Declaration of Independence, but come up with this idea of having a Declaration of Independence. One of the first things they do as a Second Continental Congress is when they get together, the American, and this is the elite. Right, Tom, you alluded to that. Like these are the yeah. who's who of every colony. These, these are not the average Joes. They no. know there's there's no that they know what's going on and things of that nature. And no one is, you know, no one doesn't know there's not issues going on in England, but they kind of say, well, there's always been issues. Yeah, no one wants to be taxed and things like that. Yep. 
Um, but again, it, it's it's gaining it's gaining steam now, right? So they're, they're meeting in in uh, the second Con- Continental Congress, and yep. they decide basically. Wanted to, I guess, just jump into it, right? Yeah, I mean, you could jump into Why it because I mean, ultimately, the, the goal yeah. is we don't want independence uh, initially. We just want England to be nice to us, and then. Well, they said things. They have like the Olive Branch petition, exactly. and things like that, and it not, it's not going anywhere. Basically, the King um, King George III basically decides, you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dealing with them. You yeah. know, like he wants to paint a stand. He wants to, you know, show an, an example who are these colonists and things like that. You'll be fought this war, the French Indian War, and stuff like that. They kind of protect them, and now they're not really repaying us and things like that. They're not showing their loyalty to the crown. So he, he's he's all in on this too. He's setting it by yeah. force. He wants to put down this rebellion, and. So this, that's why they really have to have this decoration. And the Declaration of Independence was, I like to always describe it, it was designed for more than one audience, right? A bunch of people. One, the king. They, mm-hmm. they want the king to see this. Um, the colonists themselves, right? To rally yeah. the troops, basically. And the world, all right? So it was designed to multitask, okay? They wanted to rally troops to get people to jump in. But also they wanted people to really understand why they were declaring independence to try to win foreign allies. They know they're not beating England, which at this time is the most powerful nation on earth. They're not beating yes. England by themselves. So they need help. All right. So the, if you really look at the declaration and really break it down, the first couple of sentences states the main purpose to explain to the colonists their right to revolution, right? The, these clause which impeal them to the separation, right? And then Congress basically has to um, prove the legitimacy of their cause. And then they also need to motivate people to really, the allies to come and join the fight, which they are going to do. And basically everyone gets in all the other countries that don't like England get involved in this war in some way, shape or form. You can call yes. it a world war. You could easily yeah, call this a world could, war. you could. I think, I mean, the same could be said for a French and Indian war that came, you know, a few decades before, yeah, well, absolutely. I, I would say. absolutely. The one thing, you, again, you, you kind of mentioned here is the Declaration of Independence itself, and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, but it's broken into parts. You have kind of like the, the, yeah, yeah, like, the introdu- then, like the introduction. And, and as that's to, probably you know, the most, um, to, well, you know these words, though. You would, yeah, you would, we you hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold right? these, these truths to be self-evident, right, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed, but they're created with certain unalienable rights. But among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, these are the words that they put together to really convince Americans, colonists, to put their lives on the line for this new cause. And that separation from England basically threatened their sense of security, it threatened their economic stability, their identity. So the preamble was another way of really kind of like to inspire and unite the colonists, right? These early Americans through um, the idea of basically like a better life. Like, yeah, things might be okay now, but they can be better. With, a, yep. with, a, with independence, these are going to be better when we're not under the crown. So yep. they're like, oh, okay. You know, and I mean, they had to sell this. They had to they because had to you're it. talking about yeah, fighting so against the most just, powerful country in the world. Like, otherwise, it's just a bunch of old men. Well, some of them are younger, but a bunch of yeah. this, you know, guys in a in a hot room and in, in a hot room, you know, <laughs> decide to yeah. do this. Okay. But the one that people like kind of skip that we hold these tr- you know hold these truths of evidence that all men are created equal. But the line that follows is that we have these unalienable rights. And among there are life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. And unalienable rights, I kind of want to get into this a little bit. These are – because there's an idea between civil rights and natural rights. And what mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson writes here is he writes about the natural rights. These are rights that all men – and at the time, unfortunately, they did mean men. However, it has been interpreted because as a society and as, you know, as, as the world, we've moved forward. Um, so mankind is granted well, white certain men natural too. rights. Let's just say white men. Yeah, also. back then, yeah. So I, I heard there was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there was yeah. talk of like, should we include just white men? Should it say white men? Apparently there was discuss, you know, discussions of that. Yeah. And yeah. they knew like, this is, this is going to create a problem if we don't say that. But they're like, that's a problem we'll deal with. 
boom, you have to deal with it. And obviously it becomes a problem. You have to have a war. Well, yeah. And well, I mean, they also didn't want that. to do it because they didn't want to alienate half of the colonies that were mostly Southern. I mean, yeah, that's, so you, that's you the South. this wasn't going to work unless every colony was on exactly board. like if all any colony all, says uh, no, it's done. And you had a lot yeah. of people that don't get involved too, which, you know, yeah, well, and we'll get into that, I think. But life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, these are rights that human beings are born with, meaning that you just by sheer fact that you're a human being, you have the right to live. No one should have the right to take your life away. You have the right to be free. No one should enslave you. And again, they're talking about white men here. And, uh, you know, pursuit of happiness really meant this, like, almost like what becomes the American dream, which is, you know, the ability to move forward and have social mobility in life. So these are things that, Thomas Jefferson wrote in here stating that governments, which is the next line, um, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, right? He says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, meaning that the only reason we have a government, we listen to our leaders, is because they promise to secure these rights we are born with. And these the people rights, give the government life, the power. That's exactly. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. These are not That's civil rights. Civil rights are granted by governments. These are not it. These are rights that you're born with. The government's supposed to protect them. And he says that if any government ceases to fulfill that duty, which is the only reason we give government power, then we as a people have the right to abolish. And that's kind of this, that's the premise of this whole declaration is, look, this is how we justify the fact, philosophically, obviously, that we can abolish this British government. Yeah, that what they're doing is basically not treason. It's because, that's how they're arguing to it. This isn't treason. We're, we're sticking up for ourselves, right? We're, yeah. We're, we're, we're trying to better our lives. It's not treason. That's the one thing they really, because a lot of these, you know, the Congress wouldn't want to do, be along with that sort of yeah. idea. And they list all their grievances too. They and that's kind of what a lot of people don't realize. This document, complaints. what is this document really in a grand scheme of things, Tom? Well, it's a, you know, I, we, I always taught at least the AP government, it was, it's the uh, breakup letter to, yep. to, to King George. It's a breakup letter. And these are the reasons why we broke up with you, right? There's 27 complaints uh, against yeah. him. Like most of it is literally a complaint against King George. This, this, this is why, you know, you left the toilet seat up. Now, now I'm leaving you. Sorry. You it's know, nuts though, right? It's like a list. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I, you always think it's such an eloquent document and it starts off as an eloquent document, but then really it's just like a, it, it just it's a list of complaints. Yes. Like, dude, you're terrible because A, B, C, D, E, F, yeah, G. It just goes yeah. into that. And then I guess the most important statement comes near the end, right? When he says that what these United have? Colonies are and the right ought to be free independent states. And that's basically yeah. now we are our independent states. A yep. complete break with Great Britain, and it claims that the king's powers no longer exist because they're an independent country. Yeah, now it's just a so piece does, of paper declaring that. Yep. But. So how does Thomas Jefferson get involved in all this? Like, how, how do we get Thomas Jefferson to be the one to write this document? Well, there's a bunch of Jefferson is basically the one that um, he's a big supporter of. Member of what's that guy? You talking about Payne, right? Common sense. Yep. Tom, yep. But also, the the thing is that Thomas Jefferson was super, super um, well, quiet. He was very shy. He was this yeah, well redhead respected. dude, very well respected, um, very young. He was like 33, I believe, when he, he was when one he of actually, the youngest. I think the youngest was 26, right? Yeah, but he's still 33 he, he, he to write the next independence. So he's a young guy. He's in his early 30s. He's super quiet, but is very, very eloquent. I don't want to say speech exorbitant speeches, but his essays have already been published, and he's known as he a was well known. writer. He was, yeah, he he was well known at this time. He has that name recognition, right? Yep. When you're he was looking at the Virginia this. House of Delegates, 
Like, yes. He's, he's known. And Virginia is like, you know, the granddaddy of all these colonies here. Yeah. Virginia's the, the big shot. Yeah. Yes. But initially, Ben Franklin and John Adams are kind of tapped to write this document. Like these guys are sitting in a room. They're complaining. They're like, we got to we have an official breakup. You know, we have to write something that we could send to the king. And ultimately, they turn to the most famous American, and that is Benjamin Franklin. So Benjamin Franklin is the one that's kind of supposed to do it. And then they look at John Adams and John Adams, you know, he's an attorney. He's a very famous attorney, actually. At the wasn't, time, wasn't already. Franklin like kind of blind by that time? And stuff yeah, like he was too? like he super old. He was he the wasn't oldest. The best of health. They say a lot of times he was there more as kind of just like a oversee everything, kind of like an, like a um, figurehead. Like, uh, at least yeah. he had the respect people would listen to him. But as far as like. Yeah. Well, by the Constitution time, by Constitution, he was like not. Yeah, by Constitution, yeah, forget. He, he wasn't. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. He was like naked yeah. during the Constitution time. Yeah, well, they, they have to like, <laughs> bring him, they, like they have to like carry him. Wheel in there. Him, yeah, wheel him in there. Yeah. Nonetheless, right? So he is definitely um, the oldest one, but so he's the one. Him and John Adams are like, hey, listen, like we may be smart and all that stuff, but like I, we think Thomas Jefferson's going to do a better job writing this. So well, he was well educated too. Like Jefferson, I think what they say he could speak. So he could speak several languages. Oh yeah. Um, he, he wrote over sixteen thousand letters, like they said during his time, and he was definitely a. Um, like a renaissance man of that time, more or less. Yeah. But he was a smart guy. And he had an education, like an actual formal education that rivaled even like the aristocrats in, in England. But then what happens is when like, so these guys set on the way and it's a whole committee, right? So you have John Adams, yes. you have Ben Franklin, you have Thomas Jefferson. And was it Randolph? Was the other guy that no one ever remembers? I want to say it was yes. Randolph. It was um, they were the committee to actually write the document down, right? So Thomas Jefferson... A very skillful, crafted prose. You know, he is kind of chosen by this committee. They're like, hey, you do it. So he does it. And I always like to say this, that like he plagiarized the crap out of this. I mean, yeah, if, he's pulling from all sorts of of all, all kinds of play. I mean, again, philosophy, though, like he's pulling this from philosophy. Oh, but yeah. the biggest one, I think, was obviously John Locke, you know, which is he's an English philosopher. And he's the one that stems with that idea of natural rights, life, liberty, and he calls property his third one. And Jefferson kind of tweaks that a little bit. But he basically looks at Locke's idea. It was Locke, this English philosopher, that said that governments are only instituted from the consent of the governed to protect these rights. So the whole justification for independence was actually someone else's thoughts. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, in today's terms, like if you're writing for history purposes, you would simply put that in your notes and make sure that you have that in your bibliography and you don't plagiarize. Um, in this case, he didn't really do that. He didn't put an end note, but um, no. but we know exactly where it came from because you could find Locke's readings. The declaration in itself states very flatly that all men are created equal. And at the time, what that meant is the common belief that Free citizens were political equals. It did not claim that all people had the same abilities or they ought to have the same no, equal no. wealth. Like that it was says key. politically, you're equal. Yes, yeah, exactly. It says that you have the same. Like you said before, these are the inalienable rights. These are the rights you have as a human being. You yeah. have these. It doesn't mean that you're all gonna. Hey, podcast listeners! I'm Paul Brandis, introducing my podcast Countdown to Dallas. 
It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Be as successful, it doesn't mean anything of that nature. Another thing that's kind of interesting is when he comes up with his first draft, because he's written a few drafts, and actually he would send these drafts to other people in Continental Congress, like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And and some of these drafts have survived. We actually have them. The United States government, yeah, um, yeah. National Archives, they have his drafts. But And that's how we know for a fact that he actually, his first draft, and again, he, we all know Jefferson as a slave owner and a very um, controversial figure. When controversial figure. There's, there's a lot to do with Jefferson. Yes. Yep. So one day we'll definitely um, have to do the Jefferson podcast. Absolutely. And he actually writes this like eloquent attack on the cruelty and injustice of the slave trade. There's a whole paragraph in here where he's kind of talking about how, you know, this new nation should not be based off of slavery. And, And this is interesting because, again, he was a slave owner at the time. Now, the issue is that. South Carolina and Georgia were the the main states, the representatives from South Carolina and Georgia, that kind of protested this. And they're like, listen, um, you know, our economy is completely based off of slavery. So they flat out said, South Carolina and Georgia, that they would never sign this declaration if that paragraph was included. So to gain the votes of these two states, Jefferson, you know, meets with Adams and Franklin. And they're like, yeah, you got to take it out. So there's no way there's no way that they were not going to get the all every colony supporting with that yeah. statement. There just wasn't going to happen. Yep. So on July 2nd, this is the key 1776, the delegates finally vote to unanimously. Um, well, it's not unanimously. Well, well, initially, well, initially it's, it's not, 12, but it's, it's by 12 by the second. It's 12 vote, 13, it 13? But what happened was it's. 12 of them say yes. New York abstains, doesn't vote no. That's what says, it was. We're not, we, we weren't given the authority by the by our assembly to vote for independence or not. The other 12 were. And of New York does eventually vote for independence, just at that moment, they do not. And we should also mention that at that very moment, New York was literally occupied by the British Army. That was one reason. Yeah. That was <laughs> the, they, knew, <laughs> like, if they do that. There's there's about 10,000 redcoats in the city. When the city yeah. already had about 20,000 people. Yep. So that, you know. No, that was the headquarters of the British. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, it they it were was not something it. really smart about, yeah, we're going to declare independence. Yeah. Let's wait till we get out of New York. Then we'll say New York declares independence. <laughs> you know? Now, we should also say this, that this was July 2nd when these guys decided that colonies will be free. Yes, not July fourth, and John Adams was like he actually wrote this in his diary, like July second will forever be celebrated in American history, and that didn't happen. So why is it July fourth, Tom? Well, that's when they decided to actually sign it. Yes, that's when they authenticated it. Particularly when the president of the Continental Congress, John Hancock, signs it. That's one reason why he signed it so big and 
Bolden's voice that like, oh, even King George can see it without his bifocals. Whether he said that or not, who knows, right? But that's yeah. what he kind of writes on it. And then everyone else starts to sign um, from there. But that's when it is actually signed. That's when it, these delegates are not just – they're putting their names to this document when it's becoming quote-unquote official, right, that they're declaring their independence. Even though really it means nothing. Like let's face it, if the British win the war, yeah, their country's independence means – you don't even hear about it. It's a footnote, if anything. Yep, absolutely. But even like the signing itself, there was – there was the official copy of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it was printed on July 4th, 1776, right? And it was printed under Jefferson's supervision. Um, and that was sent to the States and to the Army and was, like, wildly oh, yeah, reprinted. About, about 200 of them made, right? Uh, the yep. printing shop of someone known as John Dunlap. And that's why the original ones are known as the Dunlap Broadsides. Absolutely. Right? They're the ones that are out that they were sent to, um, yeah, like, the different states. George Washington gets one. They actually yep. sent um, some to Britain. They do, Britain which were actually found, found recently. recently. Somewhere, somewhere yeah. found one was found in like um, West Sussex County Council in England. Found a, a copy of it in 2017. They're like, what? Yeah, like, by September it started being translated into like German and stuff like that. And the first copy I think was lost in France, and then the yeah. second copy arrived in uh, November. But the one copy, the one copy that was actually officially signed, like papers, I mean hand signed by Congress, is known as the engrossed or the parchment copy. Um, and by what engrossed means, um, means that it was like carefully like handwritten, basically it was a nice, slowly handwritten paper. And, uh, this is kind of interesting. I'm sure you, you saw this, that this copy at first of all, through 1800s, no one really cared for it that much. So the ink started fading, um, because no one like really cared for it until like 1800, like late 1800s are like, Oh, we should probably pre preserve this now. Also. In 1921, the custody of this engrossed copy of the Declaration was transferred from the State Department to the Library of Congress, along with the United States Constitution as like the original documents. But then when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, yeah. I don't know if you've heard this. Yeah, yeah the documents. They were escorted, right? To Fort yeah. Knox. They were moved for safekeeping at Just Fort Knox, where they were kept there until 1944. Uh, and then it was um, transferred over, the Declaration was transferred over to 52 to the National Archives where it now sits on a permanent display. I, you know, I've been to DC so many times. I have never seen the Declaration of Independence. I've never seen either. I was at the, um, in Philadelphia, where they have the, the uh, table that was signed on. Oh, that's kind of cool. Independence. So you can go there and see actual, you can be in the actual room, right? They have like, the table and so that. Well, I've been to that. I've been to uh, the Independence Hall, yeah, which is so hall. weird because when you go to Independence Hall, like as I was driving up, I'm like, oh, there it is. And it's like surrounded by like modern Philly. You know, it's just like this yeah. little building. And every time you see pictures of it, you think it's like this grand, huge. It's small, yeah. And how they have all these tiny. Yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that gets to like, what we're talking about is actually, I guess, well, what, what do you want to get to now with the decoration? I don't even I mean, I, I think let's, let's talk here. about, I, I don't know. I mean, I, we'll talk about declaration. So let's let's talk about some of the stuff like, before we get into who signed it, like, what are some fun facts that we know about this declaration independence? Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But I think one of the interesting ones is too, um, that at no time do historians believe that all 56 delegates were actually there at the same time. Yes. So Absolutely. that's like a huge thing. Even though I think um, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, they kind of say that happens, right? Uh, that's kind of mm -hmm. in the narrative of history. But looking back, a lot of the people who signed it weren't even delegates at that time. Or they weren't, they were definitely not in Philadelphia at that time. They're saying that at most, at about 31, maybe up to at most 33 people were actually there in Independence Hall signing it at that time. Yeah. The other one signed it later on, and that the actual Declaration of Independence, when you get all the signatures on it, doesn't happen until sometime in August. 
Except August one. 2nd. Thomas McKean of Delaware was actually the last person to sign it. And they say as late as 1777. Yeah, I but, saw that too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, it's one of those footnotes of history, but like, and it's not going to change anything. July 4th is going to be July 4th. That's when the independence was announced, right? Because, also, like, so people that happens. signed it, like two, um, there was two 26 year olds from South Carolina, uh, both of them were the youngest to sign the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Lynch Jr. and Edward Rutledge. Then Ben Franklin was 70, and he was the oldest member to sign it. Eight of the men of the 56 were born in Britain. Um, there were all out of these 56 guys. They were all lawyers, businessmen, farmers, teachers, and one minister, uh, John Witherspoon of New Jersey. Ta-da. Mm-hmm. Nine of these signers died before independence was officially won. Right? So technically, the sense. independence is 1776. And we officially end this war in 1783. Um, that's when the states kind of officially become independent. Nine of the signers died. Now, someone likes to like weird, bizarre circumstances, which I think we'll we'll kind of talk about when we talk about these guys. Well, no, they said this about today. There's 26 known copies mm-hmm. of the actual Declaration of Independence, these Dunlap broadsides that were printed. And there was a famous story I always like to tell my um, students. It was one that happened in 1989 in Amsterdam, Pennsylvania, Adamstown, Amsterdam, Adamstown, Pennsylvania. And, um, Amsterdam. What do you What do you want to go yeah, to Amsterdam? I yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> was it was tucked behind this person's at a garage sale, right? Sees a um, picture frame, it has a picture in it, but it sees a picture frame. Oh, I like that picture frame. Buys it for four dollars. Rips out the picture that's in there, and in between the papers is actually a um, copy of the Declaration of Independence. I would love to find something like that. This like reminds me of Goonies. And he sold it to a TV producer um, for eight point one million. But it's actually is a signed copy, you know, one of these uh, on that broadsides. Crazy. Man, I'm going to start like going to garage sales. Well, you got to be in that area. You got to be in that like Pennsylvania, you know, Philadelphia area. Pet that Philadelphia area really, you know. Dang it. Go into some battles. See what you can find. (laughs) I love Philly. I was in Philly a couple years ago. We did like the horse-drawn carriage ride, the historic ride throughout Philly. It was really cool. Did you run up the Rocky Steps? So you don't know that reference. Uh, I do know that reference. Thank you very much. And yes, I did. And I even took a picture by the statue, which is at the bottom of those steps to the right. Or at least that's where it was when I was there. Just making sure. All right. All right. All right. Making sure you're aware. Um, I know you're a Rambo guy. I know if you're a Rocky guy. Remember we went to see Rambo and at one point, like something happened with the screen. And then I went to complain about it because I was like, I was like, I've been waiting so long for the newest Rambo movie. And this was, this wasn't the newest Rambo movie, which was like, it was like that's the other new Rambo movie. Yeah. Um, And I walked out and they tried to fix it and like shut off the entire screen. Yeah. People are not happy. Yeah. But I remember when you stormed out during Star Wars and flipped out at people at the midnight show. I didn't storm out. Yeah, you did because they were, what was, what, what was wrong with it? There was something. I think the lights didn't go off. Or no, it was in 3D. They put on the 3D one oh, in a regular yeah. showing, and then we like we couldn't yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. Anyway, side note. Getting getting back to real stuff. Getting back um, to this. All right. So let's talk about who. So some of these guys that signed this thing. Well, somebody. I know one interesting fact about them and get into some of these guys was that six people that signed the Declaration of Independence they also signed the Constitution. Really? Did not. They kind of ca- they kind of carried over. Like Frank, uh, obviously Franklin was one of them. Um, Sherman, right? Famous Robert Sherman. Jefferson was there. not because Jefferson, yeah, Jefferson was, was not. No, he was in France. He was at in the France time. at the time. Yes. So, out of these guys that signed it, I mean, fifty-six. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if we're going to go through fifty-six. However, no, there's I'm some. Not going, we're not going to go through all fifty-six of them. No, uh, there are some interesting ones though. Um, 
Just, if you want, there's, a, there's a memorial to them outside the National Mall in Washington, D.C. that has really? all their names on it. Yeah, it's by a reflecting pool. It's not far from the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Hmm. It was created in 19, um, it was dedicated in uh, July 2nd, 1984. And it really? has, has all the names on it of the people who signed it. Again, I've walked through there so many times and I never knew it. So George White, um, born 1726, died 1806. He was from Virginia, and he was one of the signers' Declaration of Independence. Um, came from a very wealthy agriculture family. The reason I'm mentioning him because I thought it was kind of interesting, his life story. Um, he was a member of House of Burgesses and a one-time attorney general of Virginia before any of this happened. Then he becomes America's first law professor at the College of William & Mary. Um, his this is this guy's like kind of badass. His students were Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe and John Marshall. Like this guy taught them law, right? So there's George Wythe, I guess. Um, after declaring independence, he decided to free his slaves, and he willed part of his family property to one of his slaves. So obviously, this was super controversial, and his grand nephew, who was disinherited decided that he's not going to have any of that. So he fatally poisons Poison, yeah, this former yeah. slave um, and George Wythe. Like he poisons yeah. his, yeah. Well, he I, wanted to make sure that he, he was upset because, you know, he was going to lose some of his inheritance. He realized that. There, so this guy died. Slaves, so he tried to poison them and he wound up poisoning George also. So yeah. He died, I thought um, I was kind of, I thought I was kind of crazy. 80 years old, which is pretty old for the time, obviously. Yeah, but still, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, I mean, you know, there's there's a few weird deaths in here from the, from the guys that signed it. All right, well, what you else? Have John, you, have, you have John and Sam Adams, obviously, right? They're well, really we know those guys. Yeah, Sam Adams. I feel like Sam Adams. Obviously, everyone knows Sam Adams from the beer, but Sam Adams was a troublemaker in all this. Like, this guy yes, was yeah. the leader of the Sons of Liberty. He was, as far as the British are concerned, he was a terrorist that was part of a terrorist group. That tarred and feathered British customs official uh, threw tea overboard at Boston Tea Party, uh, caused a ruckus everywhere he went, basically harassed the, the British soldiers. That was Sam Adams, not John Adams. John Adams was yeah. like the eloquent attorney. He was more of a politician. He was more exactly. of a politician. Sam Adams Sam was, was like the he was the, he was the big mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he Sam Adams in there. Good friend of Thomas Paine too. Yes. How about um, from our home state here? of Go. New Jersey. You have an individual by the name of John Witherspoon, and he bore a lot of impressive uh, credentials to a lot of public acclaim. He was very um, well-known at this time, and he um, was the president of the College of New Jersey, which is now Princeton. Yep. So that's some of the things that, that he did. And he was basically, um, in November of 76, he shut down and evacuated the college as, as the British soldiers actually started to come in, right, as they were approaching. And the British actually occupied the area and did a lot of damage to the college. They almost destroyed it. And following the war, he devoted his life to rebuilding the college in New Jersey, now Princeton. Um, he served twice in the state legislature. So that was kind of the things that he was doing. So he voted in favor of, of the Declaration of Independence and made a notable comment on the occasion in a reply to other members who argued that the country was not yet ripe, you know, not, not yet ready yeah. for this declaration, that in his opinion, it was not only ripe for measure, but in danger of rotting for the want of it. Well, that was a kind of interesting little saying there, you know. He was a very yep. me active member of Congress, served a whole bunch of different committees and stuff during this time. So, yep, yep. yeah. It's interesting because College of New Jersey, there's so many people that claim to be known as the College of New Jersey. And 
like you know you have TC and Jade as well. Well, he, yeah, um, but this is the original. But this is original. yeah, this is the, the original college jersey. Uh, Thomas Lynch Jr. of South Carolina, who was one of the youngest. Uh, again, I mentioned that before at twenty six, attended Cambridge University in England, studied law in London, came back home, was elected to Continental Congress as a representative for South Carolina, considering his education and background. Um, he signs the Declaration of Independence. After that, he befalls. He kind of becomes really sick. And his wife suggests, this is still in 1776, um, that maybe they should sail for the West Indies, like the Bahamas, Caribbean, and maybe that will like make him feel better. Yeah, so, like the, the air yeah, and stuff, yeah. Mere months after signing Declaration of Independence, he gets on a ship with his wife. Ship disappears, and neither was ever heard from again. So this guy dies within mere months of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which I thought was kind of interesting. One individual who signed it, but he couldn't sign by the other delegates of the state because there was no not enough room. I think that was a lot. So he had to sign somewhere else. Um, hmm. He's another one that didn't. I mean, he died in 1778. So he yeah. didn't really get to see the whole uh, result of everything either. George Taylor from Pennsylvania, born in Northern Ireland, came to America when he was in his early 20s, became an Iron Master. Um, so in 1775, he was appointed to take place uh take the place of a Pennsylvania delegate who refused to support the break with Britain. This is kind of interesting. You had this law too. They got kind of, remember, you're not, you don't support it. All right. You're not part of this delegation anymore. So they, yeah. So, I mean, there was, it was political. They were able to work things around. This yeah. Place. So they're like, you know, you're going home. George Taylor's coming in. And um, anyway, he missed the vote for independence. He didn't make it in time, but he arrived in time to actually sign the document. George Taylor, because again, his predecessor said, oh, I don't want to sign this. They're like, you're out. Bring in George Taylor. A lot of these states that now we're called them states after the Declaration of Independence, what ultimately happened here is the only reason they're together, they're, it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I mean, they're only together for one purpose, and that is to survive this war against England. When it comes to anything else, like these guys make sure they, they, that yeah, they want nothing to do with each other. Exactly. And they even, a lot of like hostility towards each other. Absolutely. I mean, they, they form a government basically um, under the Articles of Confederation, which is concurrent. This, so another thing I always tell my students, yeah, we declare independence. And then what happens? So two things are happening concurrently. One is we're fighting a, a, an actual war to maintain that independence. And two, we are forming a government under which, because remember, we're a new country, right? Like we're trying to get, as you mentioned, we're trying to be democratic, which is yeah, not and recognized really by the world. Known at this time. So the government we create that is happening concurrent with this war we're fighting to get ourselves this independence is the Articles of Confederation, is under the Articles of Confederation. And it's basically like a loose constitution. Like we are. Well, yeah, that's together, what Confederacy is. It's a, it's, it's a really. beneficial, it's a beneficial, but it is no real, there's no strong federal government. Nope. There's no real it's, United it's, States of America. The states, the state, yeah, there's no real United States as far as we know it today. And that's one reason why they individuals that support it are early on kind of back away from it. And they have the constitution that has to be created. Crazy. In their eyes. Yes. Bartlett, Josiah Bartlett, New Hampshire, is the second person, by the way, to sign a Declaration of Independence. So John Hancock gets all the credit. But after John Hancock walked yeah, away, who remembers, who remembers Josiah like, Bartlett, number, who remembers number two, right? Walks up and says, I got this. And he signs it second. Interesting. Interesting. Anyway, I mean, I guess this is a nice 
short conversation on the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, I mean, you can always just like Google the individuals. There's a ton of information on these guys, little bios and stuff like that there. And each one, again, they're putting their life on the line by doing this. So you definitely have to give them that credit. credit. They know that if this is not successful, and there was by no means, you know, a, a given that this war was going to be successful. You're, you're, you're battling the most powerful nation on earth, the most well-trained, well-equipped army on the planet, and you think you're going to win? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. So, you know, they're signed and they're aware of the consequences if this doesn't work. They do it anyway, which is which is what's great about this. And it's not like they go into hiding. Like they don't go into, I mean, a lot oh, of these guys. On it, yeah. yeah. A lot of these guys were actually caught and arrested and, and thrown into like British jail during this time. Um, But just, they're just like, yeah, we're doing this. I mean, it is what it is. Well, I saw so, one more interesting thing I don't bring up. There actually was signed shortly after this a declaration of dependence was signed in new york did you see this no declaration of dependence in 1777 and it was a group of um, 547 loyalists from new york that signed this they pledged their loyalty to the crown so they hear about this like oh wait a minute we we we, it's not all of us so they're like loyalists that pledged their loyalty that that they still support the crown no matter what at that point doesn't matter like the war is going on Hmm. another interesting thing do you know that three, not two, but three of the founding fathers died on 4th of July, which was the anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence? So everyone knows about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, because they died within a few hours of each other on July 4th, 1826, which was the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, which is crazy because I'm pretty sure they were like some of the last ones that were still alive during this time that have signed it. But James Monroe, President James Monroe, also died on July 4th in 1831. Fun fact. Look at that. Yeah, but it's not as interesting as a fun fact. Yeah. But it's I good. It was... It's good. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you some props there. I was going to say, I thought it was kind of fun. It's, it, it's, a, it's a good way to end. Nice. All right. So, as always, if anyone needs us, you know where to find us. You could always go to historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. You could find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're out there. Just look for us. If anyone has any suggestions, come our way. And uh, I think that concludes our podcast. So I hope everyone has an amazing Concludes our 50th podcast. Indeed, our 50th podcast. So I hope everyone has an amazing week until we get back with number 51. Let's go. All right. Enjoy, everyone. Take care. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. 
Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.